This morning, we're going to talk about how God has brought us together uh, to care for one another uh, for his glory, for his glory. Uh, We're going to be in Romans chapter 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, You should turn there in your Bibles. You should have a Bible. Uh, I'm not scolding anybody unless you feel scolded and then you're just convicted. Uh, But Romans chapter 15 Romans chapter 15, you should have a Bible because uh, one of these days the power is going to go out uh, and you will be powerless. You will be powerless when it comes to reading the Bible. Unless, of course, you have it all memorized. Unless, of course, you have it all memorized and that that would be impressive. Um, But uh, we're talking from Romans chapter 15. Before we go there, I want to talk to you about angels for a minute. Um, Angels. Now, when you think about angels in the Bible, uh, they're very intriguing. They're very interesting, and they show up in different places. And <clears throat> we know, uh, you know, that they have a purpose. In fact, the, the word angel itself means messenger. It means messenger, and like they have a purpose to do things. And so, as you think about this, this purpose that uh, angels have. Uh, they are messengers of God. They're to do his bidding. One of the, uh, the passages that I think of as I was considering angels as we gather here uh, this morning um, was from uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Um, and it says this, and this is, uh, most of you know this, but most of you are great Bible theologians, or at least you came on Christmas. Um, And you know that this scene right here is to the shepherds. When the shepherds were uh, taking care of their sheep at at the birth of Christ. And it says this. And suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And you think about that and you go, what were the angels doing? There was an angel and then there were angels. There was a multitude of angels, heavenly hosts. And they were praising God. They were saying glory to God in the highest. Um, They were not saying, check out my outfit. They weren't saying, my voice is amazing. You need to listen to me. They weren't saying, I came here today because I wanted to. They were saying, I'm delivering a message, and that message, that message is what? Is that God is to be praised, glory to God in the highest, that he is to be magnified, he has done a great work, and uh, as part of this, Jesus came, and you need to go, and you know, that, that was. And so angels have a purpose. They are a messenger. They're to do his bidding. And as angels do what they're supposed to do, they glorify God and fulfill their, their purpose in creation. And they're great angels. Um, they're great at being angels, doing that messenger job. What happens if they don't do that job? What are they? They're demons, okay? They're demons. They're followers of Satan himself. You know, there's this idea that, that they were created to do something, but because they didn't do it, they became something else, okay? And angels who do their job fulfill their job, and they fulfill their role, and there's a great role that they play in creation. I'm going to tie all that in. 
to Romans chapter 15. Okay, turn over to Romans chapter 15. It's going to come together, I hope. Um, If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Romans uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Uh, Romans chapter 15, 1 through 7. It says this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good uh, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, uh, but it is written, the the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. God, I ask your blessing on our time this morning as we come before your word. And uh, God, we struggle with this passage, not so much in understanding it, but in uh, doing it. And God, I ask that you would make it clear in our hearts uh, how different things need to be. May you convict us. May you show us uh, who we are. May you magnify the things that um, are hard for us to see, that we might see them clearly and that you might change us. God, may we be this passage for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Today we're going to see what we are made for and see how we will be satisfied in doing what we are made for. Um, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you've been re- realizing we've been talking about the weak and the strong and how that happens in the church and the unity of the church. And I, I've talked to you week after week about just the importance of the church and the, the, um, it, it's indispensable for us. It's not something that's an option. It's, it's something that we have and we need and we should thirst for. And yet when you come together as the church, it's kind of like coming together in a big family. And if any of you have been in big families, there's a little bit of fighting sometimes in the siblings. Uh, There's pushing and shoving. And, And why is that? Well, the more people you get around, the more ideas you get. And in the more ideas you get... Uh, there's this idea for you wanting what is you desire, and there's pushing and shoving and negotiating and arguing and punching and kicking and stuff like that. Um, and so we look at this, we've been seeing this in the church and realizing that it's not about what we want, it's not about what is good for me and bad for you, but it's that we would see each other as important, that we would care about one another. And this passage, uh, once again, is talking about this same idea. We see in verses 1 through 4, pleasure-seeking, pleasure-seeking. 
And I, I use the word pleasure because the passage uses pleasure. And it says it three times. And it, it starts out, he, he says this. He says, we who are strong, we who are strong. And, and, and Paul's including himself in that. And he says, you know, I'm strong. And there are some of you in the church of Rome that are too strong. And, and what, what is he saying? What is he saying? Uh, he's saying there are some of you who have a personality or a constitution or the way you were raised has made you strong. No. Uh, Paul is saying, what he is saying is there are those of you in the church that God has worked in your life in such a way, apart from you wanting or even like, you know, seeking out for it, that God has worked in your life and he has shown you things, made clear to you and grown you in ways that has made you strong apart from your doing, he has made you mature. And you think about Paul's testimony, uh, he wasn't seeking after Jesus, Jesus sought after him. And he didn't, uh, take this position, take this position, and it wasn't on his resume, and he didn't work with the right people and, you know, maneuver and go to the right dinner parties and so on and so forth. But God put him in this situation. He taught him and put him in this situation, grew him to be strong. And, and, and he's calling on those like him. And he says, those of you who are like me, that, that God has done a work in your life and grown you out of the sin that you were once in. We talked about in the last few weeks, both Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles, um, that they were, would have made up the church at Rome. And, and, you know, similar lostness, but different types, right? The Jews were in their form of religion. They had all their rules and sacrifices and were wanting to be good, but in the end, they were not good, not good enough, not good enough compared to Jesus. And so we Jews realized that they needed Christ, and so those who have followed after Christ, they would have been part of the Church of Rome, but there were also people from all over the world, different cities, and they would have come to Rome, this huge, massive church, and they too would have left behind some sinful life. They would have left behind their upbringing and, you know, different pagan gods that they had, you know, followed after families or towns or cities, and, um, and they would have carried baggage as well. But God, if he brings you out of that, if he teaches you past that, if he makes you secure in himself, uh, he places you as his work has placed you in the category of strong. And he's calling on those. And I want to tell you that many of you here today are the strong of Bear Valley Church. Maybe you don't think that, or maybe you don't uh, consider that. Maybe you say we're all the same, and I, I want to say that's not true. That's not true. Uh, he has made some of you strong. And I think in terms even of a family where uh, the parents, uh, you know, God has placed them there to be strong among the weak little ones, right? You get that picture. Why, why are there parents in a home? Well, so kids don't burn the place down, right? So that they don't really hurt themselves because they, they like to hurt themselves or they don't know better than to hurt themselves. 
Uh, why do you not leave your two-year-old at home alone? What would it be like, right? And so, so we see this picture of he's identifying the strong within the church, and he says, we who are strong, including himself, have obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. He uses the word obligation, and I, I think that's connecting uh, to the, the strong thinking about the work of God in their life, right? He, he, he acknowledges that there are some of you that are strong, but if the strong would really think about it, including yourselves, including myself, if we're strong today, if we would say, if we're looking upon the weak, we would say obligation. Why is there an obligation? Because God has done a work in my life because I was once weak, because I was just like them or had the heart of them, because I could have been in those same things, he says this, we who are strong have an obligation to the weak, an obligation to those who are not strong. And what is this obligation? Uh, To bear with the failings of the weak. To bear with the failings of the weak. I want to define this clearly. It is not to say we tolerate them. It's not to say we even approve of them. If, if someone is lost in sin and they're continuing to sin and they have ideas of sin and they're wrong ideas, it's not to say you're totally right. You're totally right. And I'm doing that because I'm bearing with it. But, but it's this idea of, of, of patiently, kindly, loving and caring and, and, and being with them. And I think in our culture today, as, you know, I, I guess every culture has struggled with this, the whole idea of canceling people. And, and I, I realize that's a big thing out in the world, and there's reasons for that, but not in the church. Not in the church. What if someone is weak and they struggle with sin? What if someone has crazy ideas that have come from their past? What if one has... Uh, as looking at certain things, as they would have, I, I mentioned meat and uh, drink and different things that, that they would have struggled with. I remember we talked about the butcher shop that would have had meat offered to idols, and we're not sure if it was the Jews or the pagans. The previous, you know, it could have been either one would have went to that same thing and said, oh, meat offered to idols, can't touch it, can't do it. And there would have been others who would have said, it's a good deal. Winco, right? They're having a sale. They're having a sale, and I don't care about that. Uh, I've been changed. And so uh, as we see this, we realize that the bearing with the failings of the weak is the idea that they're not canceling them. They're not pulling away from them. They're not mocking them. They're not uh, looking down upon them. It's that they have an obligation because of their relationship with God, but also their past as well, uh, being weak themselves. The strong are obligated to bear the failings of the weak. And then he begins at the end of verse 1 to say this, and not to please ourselves. Not to please ourselves. I want to stop here and just say this. How do you live your life? How do you make decisions? How, how do you decide what to do? And, and I want to tell you that I think most of us, because of where we are financially, where we live, uh, 
Californians, I hate to say it that way, but like we are Californians, right? Um, and, and, and what do we do? It's kind of like we wake up every day and we open up the menu of life and say, hmm, what shall I have today? Hmm, what do I feel like? What do I want? Haven't had that in a while. Ooh, don't like that. That's not going to, never would I eat that. Um, And we look at the menu of life and we say, what will I do? What is the thing that I want? Because I'm entitled to get what I want. I'm a person. I have my own ideas. I have my own wants, desires, and pleasures. So I'm going to do what I want. That word entitled, how you going to like that word? It's fine when you talk about others though, right? Oh, they're so entitled. Yeah, so are you. Did I say it out loud? Uh, so when you go to your coffee shop and you're super high maintenance, you know, you tell them the degrees. They tell, you tell them, I want it this hot. I want an inch of foam at the top. I don't want this kind of milk. I want that kind of milk. I don't really want milk. I want almond milk, which isn't milk at all, right? How do you milk an almond, you know? Um, <laughs> you think about these things and you say, and, and then, and then, it, it, you, you wait for it and, and you say, it took too long. It's not exactly the way I wanted it. This doesn't taste right. Do it again. Right, we do that with our our meal as well. Right, I, I I wanted it medium rare. This is medium. You know, could you undo it? Right. It's easier to go the other way, by the way. Right. It's medium rare to go to medium. Then, anyways, um, we we have this idea that it is okay and it's fully that I would get what I want. And we live our lives in ways that say, I live my life for my pleasure, for my pleasure, and I do what I want. Uh, And at the end of the day, uh, we say, well, was it a good day or a bad day? The answer somehow goes with, well, did I get what I wanted? (laughs) Did I get what I wanted? Did I get my order? Was it to my pleasing? What I want is all that matters. It's the only question we ask. And yet in verse 1 it says, uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And those two are opposed to each other. You cannot care, bear with the failings of the weak and still get what you want. Because the highest good is what you want when you're living for your pleasure and not caring so much about who is around you. So he brings up this idea in verse 1 of our, that we would please, that we would not please ourselves. Verse 2. He goes on to develop this and he said, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. To build him up. And, and, and what you're doing here is this. You're looking around, and, and I, uh, it's interesting. I don't think that he 
In other passages in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, there's a sense of just neighbor being a random person that's around you. And I, I don't necessarily think this is a random person around them. I may be wrong on this, but I think it's a random person around them in the church. In the church. And so, so the idea here, but, but I want to say this, this same principle applies to those outside and it also applies to people in your home, in your home. The, the principle here is this, that we are to look to the needs, we are to consider what they need, let each of us please his neighbor. Not now, we're not no longer pleasing ourselves, but we're seeking to please them. For what? For his good and to build him up. That's an important distinction in verse 2. If you just ask people what they want, sometimes it's not something that's good for them. And if you ask a weak person many times and they respond entitled in their flesh, they will ask for something. They will want you to give them something that's not good for them. If you ask a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a teenager what they want and you just constantly are doing everything to please them, what's going to happen? Bad stuff, right? They're going to eat ice cream for breakfast and lunch and dinner and snacks in between, right? And so, so the, the, the important thing is that you're living or you're doing to please them and, and not just to please them, but somehow for their benefit and they're, they're building them up. And I love this passage. You know, I, I fear that I won't be able to preach it well enough, but, but I want you to get this because it's so obvious, but it's so good. And it's so important as you think about family and life in the church family, Okay, he says, you know, we're we're not to please ourselves. That shouldn't be our highest good, but that we should seek. Let each of us individually. It's not about this group thing. It's about us individually pleasing one another. For what? For their good, for their building up. And, you know, we've looked at this before in other passages. I think of Hebrews 10 where it talks about, I shared with the kids, the idea of building up and this idea that they would strengthen them. And I want to encourage you to ask this question as you think about if you're doing this right, is my actions, my words, my time, is uh, is it really to please my neighbor? And do I see in them something that's good? And because of our time together, have they been built up in the Lord? Are they, and, and I would say this, are these weak ones, are these weak ones on their way to being strong because of our time together? Isn't that beautiful that this is what God has done for us? And I, I want to point you back, angels, angels. Angels have a role, right? They're messengers. They're messengers. I want to ask you the question, and I want you to think about this throughout this passage. What's your role? What's your role? Why has God saved you? What does he want to use you for? How does he want to take the days, moments, hours, whatever you want to say, of your life, and how does he want to use it? And I would say this. He wants you to be used to strengthen others in the faith. 
verse 3. Verse 3 uh, gives us the ultimate example. The, the ultimate example. For Christ did not please himself. And you should fall off your chair right now. You should fall off your chair. And, and I'm not suggesting it, but like, why? Like, that should strike us. And I realize most of you have been around the gospel for a very long time. And you've heard the story of Jesus over and over again. You knew that the you know, that, that passage about the angels, the multitudes sharing glory to God. You knew that that was the shepherds. You knew it from the earliest of time. And, and you've heard about Jesus' life, his, his miracles. You know about him going to the cross. And you know about the resurrection. And you go, yeah, I get, I get the story. I get the story. But that story should blow you away. Why? Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords served the men this last week, uh, as we met, um, for those of you who weren't there, there was a healing service that went on. There was no more ailments. Every, every, every husband and father and man was fixed. All their problems are gone. We handed out thousands of dollars, and you weren't there. We're meeting this week. Monday night, 6.30, next, week, next Friday, 9 a.m. We'd love to have you. Um, in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10. This is what we looked at. Uh, and, and it's just an amazing thing. Jesus speaking of himself, he says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't that wild? The one who should have been served, the one who should have been worshipped and fallen down before and, and deserves that. He is the king. He should be worshipped. But what did he do? He didn't come to be worshipped or to be served. He did what? He served. It, it says this, in, uh, if you look down at verse 3, it says, For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. That's a, a passage from Psalm 69, verse 9. We won't look at it. But, but, but it's this idea that Jesus took upon all that was designed and targeted for us and deserved of us. He took that on. He didn't please himself. If you think back... Uh, to the garden, Luke chapter 22, verse 41, it says this, uh, and, he would, and, and those of you Bible scholars know where this is too, right? It's in the garden when he prayed. And, and, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Next slide. Uh, is that all? Did I just give you that one? Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 42. Sorry. That was my bad. Not, not my guy back there. Matthew's doing a great job. Verse 42. He's going to pull that up. I can't read it. Um, in my, I guess I could read it here. says this, uh, and he withdrew from about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. As you look at that, uh, it's hard to imagine. Like, it's hard to get this concept that you say, well, the Father and the Son are one. They're one in mind. They're, they're with the Trinity. It's not that they're opposed to one another. But this passage is hard because you see the will of the Father, will of the Father, and Jesus, knowing what's going to come, what's going to come? The crucifixion, the cross, right? He's heading towards the cross. And it's getting close. It's getting close. And he says, he talks about this cup. We, we looked at this this last week with the men too. This idea that, that cup is the circumstance or the, the next event, if you will. He says, I know what that is. I know what that is. And he says, if you can take that away from me and set it aside... I don't want it. I don't want it. But Jesus didn't live for his own pleasure. He didn't say, what would I like to have today? How would I like this life to end up? What would be the events that I want? What kind of coffee do I want to drink today? How much cream do I want? Do I want sugar? Do I want Splenda? Stevia? Honey? Like he would have went for honey for sure. But um, you, you look at that and you, you see what Jesus, he, he says, can you take this away from me? But, but it's not about my will. It's not about my pleasure. It's about doing the plan of the Father to obey. And, and the plan of the Father, why was that the plan of the Father? For you and me. For you and me. Why? Because we needed it. And so when, when it when you see this, you say, I, I like to live for my pleasure. I like to get what I want. And he says, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not that you should always pick something you don't like just to show yourself. It's not about not having pleasure. It's about looking for one another right here. I, I think most of you know this. When you're by yourself and you have the remote in your hand, what do you watch? Whatever you want, right? When your wife's around, I I hope there's an adjustment. I hope there's an adjustment. And and you're thinking through what would be... And and when your kids are around, I hope there's another adjustment. And when your grandkids are around, I hope you're not watching a World War II documentary. Okay? (laughs) The picture here is this, that you're always thinking about what is good for them. How can I build them up? How can I think about what is something that would be helpful for them to do what? To go from being weak to strong. Weak to strong. This is what Jesus did in a magnificent way. He lived for the good of others living for the will and plan of the Father. This is why he came, and and this is important for you to see, is that God has sent you down here, not as a Savior, but in a small way, he wants to use your life, your insignificant life. He wants to use your life as a strong person, having understood the gospel in the lives of others. Verse 4. Um. 
He speaks of, uh, Paul speaks of, and he points back and he says this, verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If, if, you, only had, if you only had the writings of Romans, and you didn't know of anything of the Gospels. You didn't know of the story of Jesus. But you also didn't know the Old Testament and the hope of the Messiah. And you didn't know about the character of God revealed as he dealt with his people. You didn't know of him being a creator of all things and over all these kingdoms, bringing them up and down, including his own people, sovereign over all. If you didn't know that, you wouldn't know the magnificence of the plan of Jesus. And, and as he, he shares this, I want you to know this about the scriptures. The scriptures are conclusive. They're, they're the authority. They're authoritative for you. Like uh, we do this thing now with the news. I, I know you guys do this. Well, Reuters. Reuters has uh, decided this is a story from Reuters. And, and in, in your mind, you say this. Do I believe Reuters? Those jokers? You know, that publicly traded company, right? Used to be free, but now they're no longer free. If I said to you, I said, you know, I, I heard this on CNN the other day. Some of you are holding it back right now, right? What if I said to you, Tucker Carlson said? He's looking for a job. Uh, maybe there's some other place that you look. And, you see, and, and, you, and what you're doing is you're going, oh, I heard it here, I heard it here. I don't know if I trust them. I don't know if I do this. I don't, you're, like, you're, you're, you're patching it all together. But, but what, in the midst of Paul speaking of how life should be in the church, he says this, the scriptures this is how we know the scriptures. We know about what? Jesus, his life, what he did, how he lived. We know that he was supposed to come. We know that was written for what? As you look at it, this should stand out to you. At the end of verse four, he says uh, th that through endurance and the, through encouragement of the scriptures, what? We might have hope. We might have hope. And I think of those two words, endurance and encouragement. The first one being not quitting, right? I know as things go on, there's a sense of like, oh, I don't know. I feel like quitting. The longer life gets, the harder it gets. There's this sense of like, oh, I don't know. I feel like quitting. He says, endure, endure. Be encouraged. What? Encouraged in the scriptures. You know what it says, there's a great encouragement. If you're depressed, if you're discouraged, go to the scriptures. Go to the scriptures. As you look for encouragement and hope from other people, you want to say, tell me what Jesus says. <laughs> give me something from God. I've heard all the other stuff. Don't give me some lame book from Barnes and Nobles. Don't say, you know, I, I was searching on Amazon. It has four and a half stars <laughs> from people that I don't know or care about. 
the, the encouragement here is this, the hope that comes is from knowing exactly what God has said, the truth of God's word, the story of Jesus. This is what he has done. We come back to unity in the church, verse five, unity in the church. He says this, may, may the God of endurance and encouragement, interestingly enough, he, he calls uh, the previous verse, he says, you're gonna find that in the scriptures. Now in verse five, he says, may the, the God of endurance and encouragement, by the way, the same word. The Bible is just the word of God, right? And so of course God is the God of endurance and encouragement, that which we need. And it says this, may, may the God of endurance and encouragement uh, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That, that he, he's praying, he says, I, I, I desire that God would do this work in you, this granting or gifting of what? Harmony with one another as you're or in accord with Christ Jesus himself. It's not harmony with one another that we've just figured it out how to live together, but it's that we are all connected and with and walking in step with Christ. And as we do that, he brings us and he does for us this thing that we could never, never do for ourselves. Bring about harmony. I, I told Zach, I said, I said, read the passage that I'm going over. It's a music passage. Harmony, right? Uh, if you look at the, the next line there, he says, harmony with one another in Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I wanted him to talk about the choir, right? Doesn't it make sense? Do you, do you understand the picture here? With one voice, with one voice. Um, rebellion's one thing, but it, it, like, do, do you have someone in your family uh, that just likes to always do their own thing? Maybe you are that person in your family that wants to do your own thing. And it, you think about what that looks like in the church, uh, you know, I think about the choir or the, the, um, the band here. And what if one of the people in the band here said something like, I got a different idea. You know, Zach wants me to play it this way. I got something special. I got something special. And, and right here, I'm not going to tell anybody, but first service, I am going to go off right here. I got some ideas on a harmony that someone's never heard before. And uh, afterwards at lunch, what happens at your house? So-and-so was going today, right? They had a different idea. You know, they stood out. Not necessarily in a good way either, right? Not so, you, you know, the funny thing about harmony, um, I don't know anything about music. By the way, I'm, I'm overstating what I know right now. But, but the idea of harmony is that it somehow fits together, that there's a beauty of it. It's something different, but not out of whack, right? And, and when somebody is going off on their own thing, everybody knows, right? Or, or you think about, I, you know, it's a funny thing. People have done this in uh, TV shows and stuff like that. Uh, Pledge of Allegiance, Right? What happens if someone's a word slow? 
There's that funny thing where somebody's saying, ready, begin. And why do they say ready, begin? So everyone's on the same page, right? But when someone's lagging behind, it's like this echo and it, it becomes fuzzy and muddled. But the power here and the, the beauty and what God does in his church and also we're praying for, to God, for God to do that he would gift us with this harmony that, that is what? It sounds like one voice. It sounds like one voice. Uh, on, uh, on Tuesday, we meet for staff meeting and we always go over the service. Well, not always, but most of the time we go over the service. And, and uh Zach always wants to talk about the music, and I do too. And one of the things that we often say of you all, we're judging, we are judging the way you sing. And, and I'll, I'll say to Zach, I said, man, the church was really singing. I could tell they loved that song. They were singing. And that's that thing of one voice, one voice. And it's powerful, it's indistinguishable in the sense that the person, but you feel the power of the numbers together. You, you see this one voice being this powerful, clear, uh, glorifying God voice. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. And so uh, it brings us to the last verse. In your Bible, uh, verse 7 might be with the next section. In my Bible, it's not. I, I'm going to talk about it next week too because it's just such a great verse. But what does it say? Therefore, because of what I just said, you know, might even be the last chapter and a half even. <laughs> Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome, welcome. And that, that, that may sound like a funny word, but, but the idea, I can't remember how it's translated in other versions, but it's this idea, and maybe you should picture a door. Maybe you should picture a door, your front door of your house. And if you think about this church, maybe you're the greeter, and maybe it's a snowy day, and maybe you're, you're right out there. And, and, and some of us think we're not just the greeter, we're the gatekeeper, Right? And you hear the knock on the door, you see someone coming up, and you're going like this. Should I let them in? Should I let them in? They're looking a little shabby. They're looking a little bushed, right? They look like they've been around. They don't really look like us. You know, I, I, you know, I might have looked like that one day, but I don't look like that anymore, and the call here is this, that as we think through not pleasing ourselves, pleasing others, just as Christ didn't please himself, but he did the will of the Father. We know this from the scriptures. And he's called us and he prays for us that we would somehow be together as one. How should we look upon the weak? And he says, welcome them. Welcome them. And what does that look like? It means to welcome them in as family. Welcome them in as family. You can picture a snowy day here, and I hope I can't picture it in the next few weeks, but a snowy day here in Tehachapi, and maybe it's blowing because sometimes it does. And, and maybe, you know, if someone's been out there a while, they kind of have it caked on them and they're wet and 
you know, maybe their clothes aren't exactly. And they knock on the door and you open the door and you see them. And, and how you, the, the thing of welcoming them is this. You go, oh, who are you? But, but when you see, when you see someone and you recognize them, and you recognize them as one of Jesus' possessions. You fling the door open, you grab them, and you say, come on in. Come on in. And can I get you something? Sit by the fire here. Are you, you're, you're, you know, frozen to the bone. Come on in. Let's get you, let's get you warm again. And, and the question here is this. Why? Why should we welcome them? And, and maybe in your heart you'd say, I don't want to welcome them. Then they're annoying, they're weak, and I, I see that. And it even sometimes bugs me that they're weak like I was. And, and why should I welcome them? Verse 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. As Christ has welcomed you. It's almost like Jesus was blind at the door when you knocked. Right? And, and, and you knocked, and, and some of us were kind of like, I don't know if I should even knock. Because of course Jesus won't let me in. Of course he wouldn't. Because if he knows what I've done, if he knows, maybe even sees what I look like, forget it. But what did Jesus do? He welcomed you in. He grabbed you, pulled you in. And so it's interesting that this, this, there could be a discrepancy on whether it's Christ welcomed you or Christ welcomed them. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> you were them, right? <laughs> you were weak once. And you think through, how does Christ welcome a sinner? He grabs them and brings them into the family. And, and so we should as well. I don't want to skip over these last few words. What does it say? What's the end of verse 7? To the glory of God. To the glory of God. Um, I, I want to point this out. Angels. Angels. This is, I'm going to tie this all together, hopefully. Um, angels. They don't bring their own message. They don't do their own bidding. What are they doing? The heavenly realms, they are going about doing what God desires for them, communicating his message to who he wants this communicated to. Think about yourself. What does God want to do in your life? Well, he wants to bring himself glory through your life, but not just your life, your salvation. And not just your salvation, but the deeds that you do after your salvation, after he has welcomed you in, what does he want to do? He wants to use you to welcome in others. And what does that do when you do it? it brings glory to himself. That's amazing, isn't it? That he could use you and I. We're worthless, right? We've messed everything up many a time. But he wants to use us to welcome others for his glory. Three prayers of conclusion. Here they are. God, turn my heart away from the pleasure-seeking life. Turn my heart away from the pleasure-seeking life. Second prayer. 
Give me a desire to just be one of the choir. Give me a desire to just be one of the choir. Not to stand out, not to do my own thing, but to be that part of that one voice of your church that's doing your work. And then lastly, God, give me eyes to welcome the weak. Give me eyes to welcome the weak. God, do your work in us now. Uh, God, we do ask that you would turn our hearts away from the pleasure-seeking life. God, we're so used to it. It's, it's knee-jerk reaction of life. What do I want? What should I do? And God, also, we ask that you would give us a desire for that place in the choir where we just blend into the crowd. We just get to be one of the voices. May that be enough. May it be something that we desire is just to be that insignificant one doing your work. God, and, and change our eyes. Give, give me eyes. Give us eyes to welcome the weak. God, in, in that, help us to remember the days where we were weak, where we didn't know the gospel, didn't understand the implications, didn't understand the grace that you've displayed in us in our sinfulness. God, give us eyes to see that we might welcome the weak. God, do your work in your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.